You're listening to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. Leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention. Now, here's worldwide best-selling author and speaker, Jason Jennings, and your host, Dale Dixon. What is the one question that you must ask yourself? Hi, Dale Dixon here. Welcome to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. Jason, always good to be on the line with you. Uh, Dale, great to be with you again. So we're going to the book, Less is More. It came out in 2002, but the information is still so vital today. Urge listeners, if you have not had a chance to pick this book up, do so, because we're going to dive into this one area where you say there's one question that has to be asked, and I was rereading this chapter, and I thought, okay, you really build up the anticipation for what the one question is, but and so we're going to do a little bit of that in the podcast, but first of all, what led you to discover the one question? Well, when my researchers and I uh, were getting ready to write Less is More, and for those people who are not familiar with the book, uh, it's, it's uh, how great companies use productivity. Uh, as a competitive tool in business. And and the book details the 10 most productive companies in the world based on revenues per employee per year, profit per employee per year, return on invested capital, and return on assets per employee per year. So hands down, these companies at the time the book was written uh, were the the most productive companies on, uh, on the planet. And one of the companies we identified was uh, World Savings. Uh, World Savings had been started by a, a husband and wife team, Herman, Mary, and Sandler, uh, 48 years ago. And they were the only company uh, that grew their return to shareholders double digits every year for 42 years. Uh, Without question, uh, at the time the book was written, they were the, arguably, they along with Ikea, uh, were the two most productive companies in the world. Now, as a side note that I need to cover, uh, in 2007, the Sandlers realized that they were in their mid-70s. They were still driving themselves to work every day, and they were starting to get a little bit doddering. Uh, Marina subsequently passed away, and they decided to sell. And uh, they did not accept the highest offer for World Savings. They actually accepted the third highest offer, but they sold to a company, Wachovia, uh, who they thought would be a good steward of what they had built. And then, of course, Wachovia got acquired by Wells Fargo. It was the great financial meltdown. And there were a few people who tried to uh, to paint Herman, Mary, and Sandler uh, with the same uh, the same brush or, or the same color of paint uh, as all of the criminals and thugs who nearly brought America to a standstill. It, it's it's just uh, not true. I continue to celebrate them uh, as being two of the most remarkable entrepreneurs and business people on the planet. But let me tell you what led to it. So I identified World Savings as this company that we wanted uh, to write about. I had a heck of a time getting in. In, in their 40-year history, the Sandlers had never met with a journalist. Uh, They were extremely private people. They were very humble people. I have been in their home and been in their apartment uh, for people who were worth billions of dollars. Uh, They lived very, very modestly. They drove a several-year-old car uh, off the rack clothes. They were just not over the top. And uh, so finally, I was granted access. They finally granted me several hours. And so I asked for directions. Their headquarters was in a high-rise in uh, in downtown Oakland, California. And I arrived early. I parked in the parking garage, and I was told to go to the 20th floor. So you're going to the 20th floor of this gleaming office tower where the headquarters of World Savings is located. And I'm not sure what I expected, but uh, the elevator stopped at the 20th floor, and I expected to see some 
polished wood burls and a very attractive woman behind a big desk manning a big keyboard of corporate headquarters and a few beautiful pieces of art on the wall. And instead, I, I was like in the foyer of a, uh, of a rather rundown apartment building. It had, I recall, a linoleum floor. Uh, there was no receptionist. There was no secretary. And I, I saw this old telephone on the wall, and there was a sign above the phone, and it said, pick the extension of the person you're here to see, pick up the telephone, and dial it. And so I saw Marion Herb Sandler, extension 2406. So I picked up the telephone, dialed on a rotary dial, 2406. <laughs> and uh, finally, this woman answered uh, Marion Sandler. And I said, is this Mrs. Sandler's office? She said, no, this is Mrs. Sandler. She said, are you Mr. Jennings? And I said, yes. She said, I will be right out to get you. And uh, I knew I was in for an interesting ride when you're going to see people who are worth billions of dollars, one of the most celebrated financial institutions in the country at the time, and uh, you're disembarking the elevator on a linoleum floor, and there's not even a secretary or a receptionist to greet you. And, uh, and the magic is when we reveal the question, uh, that should have been the tip-off to me that I was about to be on an incredible learning experience. All right, so we have to ask, what is the one question? Well, the Sandlers, during their entire 42 years uh, of increasing shareholder return, double digits every year for 42 years, um, um, they always zigged while everybody else was zagging and when everybody else was zagging, they were zigging, they were going, uh, for example, uh, uh, it, it became very popular to offer free checking. And so all of these financial institutions were offering free checking. And Herb and Marion sat down and they said, now, wait a minute. There's this incredible cost associated w w with running a check-writing operation. And if they're operating uh, or offering free checks, uh, unlimited free checks, uh, they said there's only one way that they're going to be able to sustain that model, and that is they are going to have to fee people to death. Now, you got to remember, this is 14 years ago uh, when banks started offering free checking, and of course, what the Sandler said came true. I mean, today, everything is a la carte at a bank, and, and people are being feed to death. So free checking was not really so free after all. And they said, well, if all these other financial institutions are offering free checking, and they're going to have to cover the cost of processing all those you know, trillions of checks, why don't we knock our interest rates uh, on CDs uh, and on savings accounts, uh, you know, a percent or a percent and a half higher. And let's see what happens. And, and Herb said that when they did that, the money, the floodgates opened and the money just began to pour in. And one of the other things they discovered is that people who keep a half million, a million, two million dollars in a financial institution don't write many checks. So they were not attracted by free checking at all. But, but, the, but the question is this, and I remember it being revealed to me. I, I, I was sitting with these two accomplished people. We'd been together for hours. And uh, Marion uh, sat knitting uh, the entire time for all these hours together. She's knitting. She was always knitting uh, shawls and sweaters and afghans for homeless shelters and for people who worked in the financial institution. But I'll tell you, rapier sharp, uh, wit and intellect. And, and so at one point I looked at them and I said, what is the magic? What is the magic that's allowed you to do this for 42 years? I mean, there had been earlier savings and loan debacles where they went, where, where others went upside down. I mean, what's allowed you to pull off, I, I mean, this once-in-a-lifetime thing nobody else has ever accomplished? And Marion, without even really looking up from her knitting, she said, it's because 
of a certain question that we ask. And I kind of leaned forward. I, I said, well, I mean, is it one question? And she said, yes, we have one question we ask whenever we have to make a decision. And I said, well, what is it? And she said, well, Herb, uh, why don't you tell him what the question is? And Herb said, no, Marion, I mean, you were the one who came up with the question. Why don't you reveal it to him? Well, by now I'm on the edge of my seat, Dale. Just like we all are. <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, she said, well, th- the question is this. W-T-G-B-R-F-D-T. And I sat there going, what the hell is that? And I said, could you repeat that? Could you repeat that, please? She said, whenever we have to make a decision, whether it's about hiring a receptionist uh, out in the front lobby when you get off the elevators, uh, when it's about whether or not we're going to install ATMs, whether or not we're going to move our processing headquarters to Austin, Texas, whenever we have to make any decisions, Herb and I look at each other and ask, WTGBRFDT. And I said, well, I'll tell you, I'm lost. Could you, in, in layman's language, could you tell me? And she said, well, the question is very simple. She said, if before making any business decision, everybody would just pause to ask, what's the good business reason for doing this? She said, businesses would make a lot of different decisions than they make. Mm. Now, think of the simplicity attached to that question, uh, Dale. What's the good business reason for doing this? And so someone is in pitching you a new telephone system for your company. You know, at some point in time, you've got to say, well, that looks pretty sleek, and I love all the features, and it's really neat, and it does all these things. But along the way, you better ask the question, what's the good business reason for doing this? And I'm thinking of you. Yeah, I'm thinking of you stepping off the elevator. So they, at some point, had to ask the question: What's the good business reason for putting Italian tile or or whatever on the floor? Yes, Uh, exactly. And and in fact, I asked them specifically. I I I said, "Is that why you've got the old beaten up rotary phone and linoleum floors? I mean, out in the foyer?" And she said, "You know, we've we've looked at it many times." And she said. You know, the cost of having a big, beautiful reception desk out there and manning it with a person, uh, she said, you know, we've asked the question, what's the good business reason for doing this? And she said, we've, we've never been able to answer that question adequately. Let me take a moment, Dale, and I, I know we're always crushed for time, but let me explain to you uh, the impact that made in my own life in a huge way. Um, uh, although I guess our listeners know that I live in California most of the time. Uh, we have our, our summer place up at a lake in northern Michigan, and that's where I grew up. And a few years ago, uh, the ABC television affiliate, uh, w- w- which had had a, a checkered past and had problems, uh, was for sale. And, uh, and the television station was for sale for, uh, for, for an attractive uh, cost or uh, an, an attractive sales price for a television station. And I thought, you know what? Uh, at this point in my life, I think I need to go back to Marquette, Michigan, and buy this uh, ABC television affiliate, and I think it would be a very good investment. And so I, I, I flew back there, and I, I, I checked out the assets, and I checked out their contracts, and I, I checked out their affiliate relationship, and I, I met with all the people, and I was all set. Uh, I was all set to sign the papers. And I got in my rental car, and I drove out uh, to uh, Lake Superior. 
And for people who have not seen Lake Superior, it is not a lake. It is uh, truly a, another great ocean. And uh, along one place in Lake Superior there near Marquette, Michigan, there's a, a tremendous, what the Germans call Ausblick, uh, a scenic outlook. And I, I, I parked the car, and I was looking out at the waves rolling in at Lake Superior. I was about to make this multi-million dollar decision to purchase this television station. As I was sitting there, all of a sudden, the picture of Herbert Marion Sandler appeared in front of me, and I asked the question, what's the good business reason for doing this? And the more I pondered it, the more I realized my decision was being driven by ego. I mean, local hometown boy makes good, goes out in the world, slays dragons, now comes back and buys local television station. And I thought, this is the most ridiculous and stupid thing I've ever heard of in my life. I don't want to own a damn television station in Marquette, Michigan. I want to write books. I want to teach. I want to give my speeches. I want to run my investments. And I, I, I came this close to having been saddled with this several million dollar burden. And, and Lord only knows how much money it would have taken to turn it around. All because I paused to ask the question, what's the good business reason for doing this. And so what I would urge all of our listeners to do is this. Uh, in the course of the day-to-day, -day, you're going to have to make lots of decisions. Lots of decisions. And if you will just stop, count to ten, and ask, what's the good business reason for doing this? Uh, I will promise you uh, that many of the decisions you make will be different than the ones that you would have made. So we've just got a minute left, but you say every decision. Are you, You're talking about even those insignificant Decisions on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, you know, it, it, after about four or five days, uh, they say that muscle memory uh, takes over. And, and everybody listening to us knows all about muscle memory. After several months at the lake driving one type of vehicle, I, I, I came back home a week ago. I could hardly drive my car because my muscle memory had gotten accustomed to driving the other vehicle at the lake. And it actually uh, took some conscious thinking to, uh, to get back in the drive of, of, of doing my car here. And, and, and yes, I can tell you, uh, when, when I'm asked to make a business decision of any kind, uh, I mean, whether it's uh, doing these podcasts, whether it's uh, uh, doing a speech, I mean, uh, whatever it is, uh, whether it's buying 10 reams of paper at Costco, uh, I ask the question, uh, what's the good reason? What's the good business reason for doing this? And if there is a good business reason for doing it, you do it. And if there's not, you just smile at yourself and you go, dummy, you just about made a real dumb decision and you saved yourself. And I'm sure you have saved uh, folks a lot in uh, just going through those letters, W-T-G-B-R-F-D-T. What's the good business reason for doing this? It comes from the book Less is More. Jason, we're out of time today, but thank you so much. Great information for us. And uh, coming up next week, Everybody's the owner. Our topic for the conversation. We'll talk but to you Dale, soon. Yes. But Dale, before we leave, we have to do one more thing. Oh, thank you so yes. much. And I'll let you do it. We want your questions. We want your questions. And so you can email the questions. We're going to answer them right here on the podcast. Uh, just send an email to questions at jason-jennings.com. Shoot the email off, Jason, uh, questions at jason-jennings.com. You can also access it through the webpage right there uh, on the podcast page at the website, jason-jennings.com. And once again, 
the book is Less is More, uh, definitely worth the read. The latest book, The Reinventors, out now, and it's definitely a New York Times bestseller. Jason, you have yourself a great week, and we look forward to hearing the questions. Uh, we'll do it again next week, Dale. Thanks. You've been listening to The Game Changers, leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention with business thought leader, best-selling author, and keynote speaker, Jason Jennings. Read Jason's most recent New York Times bestseller, The Reinventors, and visit his website at jason-jennings.com.